0: You're listening to Learner, an audiobook by Trevor Reagan from the LearnerLab.com. Chapter 17: Taking Action. So far in the book, we've really established our foundational tools that can help us become better learners. Our goal with this last section is to really get into the weeds and show how to put these tools into practice. Remember our friend Layton from Chapter 4? the kid that was trying to learn the coin catching trick and after three tries went back to the couch. What happened next was pretty cool. I take out my laptop, I sit next to him on the couch and I show him that skateboarding clip that we mentioned earlier. For two minutes he watches and he sees Jerry the skateboarder crashing, struggling, experimenting, and eventually landing the trick. As soon as the video's over, Leighton gets off the couch. He grabs the coin, he puts it on his arm, He swings his hand down, and he caught it. (coughs) Just kidding, he totally missed. I was just testing you. Of course he dropped it. But this time, instead of three attempts, there were 50 attempts. It took like four minutes. And after four minutes of trial and error, boom, he did catch it. Then he's doing two arms at once. Then he's stacking coins and catching the whole stack. So this is a huge transition he went through in just a few minutes. What did the video do for him? Yeah, I think big picture, the video was a reminder to him of what it looks like when we really learn. It wasn't a two-minute hype-up video of someone running up a mountain in slow motion with motivational quotes in the background and Rocky music playing. No, it was two minutes of someone actually learning, crashing, struggling. Experimenting, taking action. That video helped change Layton's mindset. It helped remind him that the struggle, the mistakes, are the price of admission we have to pay to grow. And most importantly, that helped Layton get back into the jungle, taking action. All he needed was four minutes, and now he has that skill forever. Obviously, the skills that you and I are concerned with take longer than four minutes to build but the process is the same. We learn the best when we're trying to catch the coin, when we're taking action in the jungle. Every word that we've recorded so far, the only intent is nudging you towards that action. We said it at the start. Learning is a skill. We get better at it by doing it. Let's bring back our friend Michael Merzenich one more time.
1: Some people are slower learners, right? They struggle, but guess what? The machinery that controls learning is plastic. You can improve it. We take people and we train them in a certain way that exercises the machinery that controls change in the brain, and they learn faster. Of course, they do. And the magic is, is that once you get into a learning mode, once you're really trying to improve yourself on a regular basis and acquiring new skills and improving whatever is important to you, you actually improve the machinery that controls learning for everything you're trying to do. So it's a really good idea to get into a learning mode.
0: Most of the time when we talk about neuroplasticity, it's on this smaller scale. If I fire a pathway enough times in the right way, my brain will reinforce that circuit. Merzenich is saying... The machinery that controls learning is also plastic, which means every time we step out into the jungle and practice a skill, not only are we gonna get better at that particular skill, but we'll become a better learner in the process. So all of this can snowball. If we spend more time building skills, not only are we stacking those skills every single time we build a new skill, We're becoming a better learner. No, I'm not saying learning to juggle will make you better at writing. You can't just trade in the skill across the board. No, but learning a skill will help you build additional skills, which is why you can make a strong argument that this is the most important section of the whole book. We're going to divide this section into two parts. Part one is sort of getting the ball rolling, starting to take action. Part two is understanding how to learn more efficiently and improve the quality of our practice in action. In a few minutes, I'm going to give you the opportunity to create sort of an action plan around this, which is identifying something you want to get better at, identifying a skill you want to build. But before we get into that, there's a few ideas to keep in mind that can help in that process. First, We need to expand our definition of skills. And I know we talked about this earlier in the book, but we have to circle back. More things are skills than we realize. If someone can get better at it, it is a skill, which means we could get better at it too. Having tough conversations is a skill. And so is dancing. And so is painting. And so is interior design. And so is leadership. And so is communication. And so is storytelling. No matter who we are or what we do, almost all of our daily actions are supported by skills, which means we can all get better at what we do by focusing on building those skills. Next, we need to understand the difference between goals and skills. So I'm doing a workshop with one of the major golf brands, and we did the exercise that I told you about that's coming up where they get to identify a skill they want to build. So we come out of that brainstorm. They had like five minutes to work on it. We all get back together, and I asked a few people to share. The first guy goes, I want to write a book. And the second guy goes, I want to be number one in this group in sales. Cool, but do you see how those are kind of goals? Those aren't skills. The exercises identify a skill. And this is a common misstep that we've all made before. There's nothing wrong with having a goal. That can provide us direction. But I'm saying focus on the skills that might support that goal. So let's just say it is writing a book. What are some skills that would support that goal? Maybe it's getting better at research. Maybe it's getting better at storytelling. Maybe it's building discipline to write consistently. By focusing on building those three skills, we're helping ourselves along this path towards the goal. The other benefit of focusing on the skills, not just the goal, is Even if we fall short of the goal, even if we don't write the book, we still have the skills. And those can help us in other journeys. I am not saying you should burn your goals and get rid of your goals. No, they can provide direction, but go a layer underneath it and focus on the skills that support them. My next tip might seem counterintuitive, but I think it's important. Stop thinking about mastery. You do not have to master a skill for it to have a positive impact on your life. Getting kind of good at something is all we really need. A big misconception in the learning research is the 10,000-hour rule. Through the game of telephone, we sort of lost sight of what it's about. And the truth is, it's not even a rule based in the actual research at all. But either way, the core idea is it takes a really, really long time of high-quality practice and luck, and a lot of other things to be an expert at something. Cool. But like I said, we don't need to be experts. We just need to get kind of good. And getting kind of good can happen in a weekend, a week, a month, depending on what the skill is. Sometimes mastery can become the enemy of action, the enemy of learning. When the gap between where we're at and mastery is so large, sometimes we never start. We're just like, well, what's the point? I don't have... 10,000 extra hours to build a skill. I think we should change the goalpost and focus on getting kind of good first. And there's a lot of benefits to this approach. First, we're more likely to start. Second, it doesn't take that much time to get kind of good. But the really cool thing is, once we cross that threshold and get kind of good at something, we can start to implement it into our daily lives. And then every time we use that skill, we get a little bit better. I know I've mentioned storytelling a lot in this book, but it is a skill that I've been focused on. That's a perfect example for this. I read a book about storytelling. The best one I've seen is Storyworthy by Matthew Dix. This gives me sort of a, a framework. And then I can start to practice a little bit backstage. I can practice these tools in telling better stories to my girlfriend, my mom. And after a bit of time, some trial and error, some low stakes reps telling better stories to my girlfriend and mom, pretty soon I'm going to cross that threshold of being kind of good at it. And once I'm there, I can start to implement those tools into my workshops, which means in one way or the other, every time I do the workshop, I'm getting a little bit better at storytelling. And honestly, that's kind of the pathway to getting really, really good at it. When we focus on getting kind of good, we get the low stakes reps. Once we cross the threshold, we bring that tool into our daily practice, which gives us more reps moving forward, and that's the pathway to even more improvement. There's nothing wrong with wanting to get really, really good at something. I'm just saying the more realistic approach to achieving that is first focusing on getting kind of good. And the last tip I have for you before you start this action plan is related to the last. Start small. Sometimes we hear a message like this and we choose a huge thing that we want to do or learn. And that's fine. That's totally great. But if there's too big of a gap between where I'm at now and where I'm trying to go, two things usually happen. One, I either burn out. Two, I don't start. Happens to me all the time with running. The new year rolls around, a skill I want to build. I want to be more of a runner. I'm going to build this skill, this endurance to become a runner. I come out of the gate strong. I run too far, too fast, and I'm so sore that I just stop running. I burn out. It would be much more effective if I start laughably small. A couple of minutes a day is a more sustainable approach. I'm beginning to build habits, and I can build on top of that over time. The research around meditation is pretty clear, it's good for you. And I've seen a lot of these studies and they're compelling and really convincing. And I read stuff like that and go, wow, I should really meditate for like an hour a day. That lasts zero days. I've never done that in my life. Again, it would be more effective if I start laughably small, a couple minutes a day. That is achievable. That's doable. And as I begin to knock out those short sessions, I can build from there. So we expand our definition of skills, more things are skills than we realize. We focus on the skills, not just our goals. We focus on getting kinda good, not mastering it out of the gate, and we start small. All right, it's action plan time. Jack, it's time to build some energy here. Let's get the uh, Minnesota Vikings skull chant going in the background. Perfect, perfect. Now let's get someone from YouTube playing the intro to Thunderstruck. Love it, love it, love it. Find, uh, yeah, that Kristen Wig clip from Bridesmaids.
1: I'm excited and I feel relaxed and I'm ready to party.
0: And now let's finish them with Sanka from Cool Runnings giving us the bobsled countdown. Feel the rhythm. (laughs) all right perfect i think we're ready to start the action plan now this is going to be sort of a five-step guided exercise and i think you're going to like it so let's start off easy step one what is a skill you want to get better at remember some of those tips we just went through two minutes ago next step to think about maybe write about why do you want to learn this skill Third step, we're calling it find a model. Now, it's going to be hard to do this live, so just take a mental note here. Finding a model is someone who's good at the thing. Someone who's good at that skill you want to build that you could look to and learn from. This could be someone on YouTube. That's a great place to find a model. Almost any skill you identified, there's probably someone on YouTube that can show you the way. But an underrated source of models are the people around us. There's most likely someone around you who's good at the thing you want to get good at. It could also be a book. Matthew Dix, Storyworthy, was my model for becoming a better storyteller. The upside of these models is they provide sort of a visible representation of the thing we're chasing, of the thing we're trying to get good at. Layer four, figure out how to get more reps, how to do this thing more often. Now, this seems simple, but it might be the most important step, which is, okay, you have a skill, now we need to get reps. Sometimes we might be able to etch out a few extra minutes throughout the day or during the weekend where we can really focus on practicing the particular skill. But another way to do this is to be more intentional about the reps that we're getting during our day-to-day lives. If your skill is to become a better listener, think about all the reps that you get throughout the day. And by being more intentional about that skill during each conversation, you're in a way firing those pathways more by taking advantage of the opportunities that are already there. The fifth layer is tricky, which is, okay, how can we start to get some feedback on our attempts, some feedback on our action? Now, depending on the skill that you select, this can come from an outside source. If it's something like public speaking, you can get some feedback from the people that you speak to, and that's great. But we don't always have to depend on others for feedback. Sometimes we can give it to ourselves reflection is a form of feedback. Taking a few minutes of reflection after you take action, after you practice, is so underrated. Sometimes it can be uncomfortable, but it's really, really good to do. What went well? What didn't go well? What can I fix? And what's something I can focus on during the next attempt? Also, depending on the skill, there's ways to get visual feedback. You can film yourself doing the thing. You can watch that back and compare it against your model. What I really want to underline with those steps is that they're all more accessible than we realize. Most of them are free. Just imagine how good you could get at stuff if you went through that exercise every few weeks. The USA Olympic women's volleyball team does this. Every few weeks, they call it declaration day and every coach and every player goes to a whiteboard and they write the skill that they're going to be intentional about during those few weeks. Declaration Day seems awesome, just like the Anti-Talent Show seems awesome. So many times in my workshops when I talk about Declaration Day or the Anti-Talent Show, people's eyes get big and they're like, wow, I wish I could do something like that. Well, we can. We don't have to wait for our organization to hold an Anti-Talent Show to begin the learning process. We can do this ourselves. The truth is we live in the best time ever for learning. The resources are all around us. Skills are at our fingertips. And if we take a bit of time to figure out how to do the skill and then get creative and find ways to get reps and practice it, we can get so much better at so many things. We can get better at fun stuff like dancing and painting, and we can get better at really useful concrete skills that can help us in the workplace. Communication, storytelling, presenting, selling. And as we go through this process time and time and time again, we begin to stack these skills, which is important. But then remember, big picture, we're becoming a better learner every single time we do it. Now, the truth is, we could end the book right there, and I think it would be a success. But I want to add one more chapter to the equation. There's one more piece of the puzzle that I think you'll find interesting, which is a short conversation about how to improve the quality of our practice, which helps us learn more efficiently. Chapter 18 Better Practice. Sometimes when people hear the term practice, we feel like that's a sports term. That's something that people do as athletes or artists or musicians. They practice, which is true, but we can do it too. We can practice the skills that matter to us in the workplace, at home, in relationships. So this section is relevant to all of us. A common trap that people fall into when we talk about practice and learning is is we oversimplify it and make it a quantity argument. If you want to get better at something, you just have to do it a lot. If I bowled every night for a month, I would be on that non-stop strike status. Yeah, pro bowlers are the people that practice bowling all the time. I guess what we're saying is if you do something long enough, you're going to be good at it. Mm.
1: Yeah, this conversation isn't that insightful.
0: However, decades of research shows that maybe even more important than the quantity is the quality. And by understanding this research around how to improve the quality of our practice, we learn more efficiently. We get better, faster, and the changes we make are more lasting. They're more likely to stick, more likely to show up when we actually need them. Now the truth is, we could double the length of this audiobook by explaining all the different topics under this umbrella of improving the quality of our practice. We don't need to do that right now. Maybe that's a different book. Right now, all I want to talk about is one principle. If you understand just this one idea, you're going to be light years ahead of most people as far as understanding how to practice better. When it comes to practicing a skill, we need to practice that actual skill in the way that we intend to use it. I'm going to say that one more time. We need to practice the actual skill in the way that we intend to use it. Let's dig into that a bit. Our time can be divided into two buckets: preparing and practicing and performing. So the performance is the presentation you have to give at the workplace, and the preparation is all the things that goes into getting ready for that performance. No matter what the performance will involve some unpredictability, some uncertainty, and some pressure. We don't know exactly how our presentation is going to go. We don't know exactly how the job interview is going to go. We don't know exactly how this basketball game is going to go. Unpredictability and pressure. There's stakes. There's tough emotions. And so with those variables present, it makes the performance complicated and difficult. So the mark of a good presenter isn't just, oh, I know how to present. No. The mark of a good presenter is I can go into the room, I can execute my game plan, I can answer questions, I can be present and adapt to the unpredictability that springs up when I'm performing the thing. Just like the mark of a good test taker is someone who can sit down without the notes and recall all the things that they've spent the week studying. And the mark of someone who's good at Going through a job interview is, I can sit down and I have my plan and I have my points, but I can also adapt. I can think on the fly. I can answer unexpected questions. So whether we're talking about job interviews, whether we're talking about a big presentation, a basketball game, it doesn't matter. What we're trying to get good at is executing the skill when it matters and when we're dealing with all of those variables that are present during the performance. Okay, that makes sense. But the issue here is there's some big problems with the way we typically go about practice. One problem is we completely eliminate all these variables. We eliminate the uncertainty. We eliminate the struggle. We eliminate the unpredictability, the stakes, the pressure. So we practice our presentation in front of the mirror alone with our notes. We read and then reread the chapter we zip through our flashcards. And Major League Baseball players love batting practice where the coach is moved in, throwing slow meatball pitches that they can connect with almost every single time. As we mentioned when we talked about the bus drivers and cab drivers, when you do something that's highly predictable, highly repetitive, our brain kind of slips into autopilot. So that's kind of empty action. We're not going to grow much from that type of practice. And perhaps even more importantly is Yes, maybe we're practicing this skill, but not in the context that we're going to actually need to use the skill. Let's go back to the jungle tiger and zoo tiger comparison. The performance, the game, the job interview, the presentation, that's the jungle. There's uncertainty, unpredictability, there's struggle, there's pressure. However, the way that most of us practice eliminates those variables, so it's a lot like the zoo. And essentially what we do is we practice in the zoo but then we expect ourselves to perform in the jungle. So that'd be the equivalent of taking a tiger that spent its whole life in the zoo and releasing it into the jungle. How is it gonna do? Not so great. So this metaphor can also guide our practice. If we wanna be able to perform in the jungle, we need to spend time in the jungle. This isn't rocket science, it's what are the variables that will be present during the performance? How can I start to introduce some of these variables into my practice? It's never gonna be perfect, But a little bit of this can go a long way. So instead of running through my presentation in front of the mirror with my notes, what could I do? Yeah, I could give my talk, give my presentation to someone, even if it's friends or family. That will be better practice than alone in front of the mirror. Now, again, we can progress up to this. There's nothing wrong with getting the hang of something alone in a more like zoo environment. But we do need to venture into the jungle and start to introduce some of these variables if we want to practice at our best. And the other thing we have to keep in mind as far as like, okay, the context of the performance is we usually don't get a bunch of like warm up tries before the real thing. You don't get to run through your presentation 20 times and then, okay, on the 21st, this is the one that counts. No, it's kind of a one-shot deal. We have to do it right now. And just like shooting a free throw in a basketball game, you don't get 50 warm-up tries. You've got to shoot the one. And so a way to implement that into our practice is by spacing out our reps a little bit, it becomes more game-like. So rather than shooting 50 free throws at the end of practice, it's best to distribute those throughout practice and shoot two at a time. That spacing is a more game-like look. We can use a similar approach when we're prepping for the presentation. Rather than going through it 10 times back to back to back, which gives us a false sense of progress, we feel like, oh yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it, no big deal. We can space these reps out. By creating some space between the attempts, it becomes more game-like. And we have to be a bit more focused and intentional every attempt. That starts to illustrate the other benefit of this type of practice. The other upside of starting to introduce some of these variables that we'll see during the performance is it makes the practice a bit more difficult. And as we said, when we compared the bus drivers and cab drivers, when practice is a bit more difficult. When there's a little bit more unpredictability, a little more struggle, our brain stays out of autopilot, which means we're more focused on the action, which means we get more out of it. So this is really improving the efficiency of our action. We're not wasting our time with empty autopilot reps. Remember, the big goal of this section is to understand that golden rule. We need to practice the actual skill in the way we intend to use it. And incorporating these variables helps prepare us to execute the skill when it actually matters. Now, every word of the golden rule is important. Think about that first section. Practice the actual skill. This brings us to the other big problem with traditional practice. So many times when it comes to practice and learning, we practice and do something that's not even the skill that we're chasing. So when we understand this rule, you start to see like, wow, a lot of these things we do in corporate trainings and professional development days for education are kind of a waste of time. Doing a bunch of trust falls just makes us better at doing trust falls. It's not building actual connection. It's not actually bringing our team closer together and positioning ourselves for real vulnerability and real trust during the real challenges we face. Those are completely different things. Just like me being able to light my barbecue grill with a match is not the same as me being able to make a fire in the woods. Reading my speech directly from my note cards isn't even the same skill of having to do it live in front of a real audience. Dribbling a tennis ball with my eyes shut standing on one foot is a different skill than handling a basketball in traffic during the game. And all the high-five competitions during the keynote speech are not actually creating authentic connections between the people. To build the skill, we have to practice the actual skill. If you want to build actual trust, it's about being authentically vulnerable, and having tough conversations with our people. It's about working through real challenges and real problems together, not falling backwards off of a table. If we want to be able to start a fire, we need to rub the actual sticks together in the woods. If we want to give our presentation to an audience, we need to practice in front of others. If the goal is to develop a better handle, we need actual defenders. We need to dribble through traffic where people are actually trying to take the ball from us. And real connection is built not when we're running around the conference room giving each other high fives. Sure, that's fun. But real connection is built every day in every real interaction we have with the people around us. Those are all moments to be more present and to ask better questions and to have better conversations. We have to practice the specific skill in the way that we intend to use it. When we engage in this high quality practice, we do learn more efficiently And the progress we make is more likely to show up when it matters. That's the good news. The bad news, I guess, is this will be more difficult. We will struggle more. We will make more mistakes. It will be more comfortable to run through the presentation alone in front of the mirror than giving it to your partner. It will be easier to do fake activities and trust falls than to actually build trust and connection. When we practice properly, it's going to be more uncomfortable. There will be more struggle. There will be more mistakes. And we need to understand that that is part of this process.
1: I'm Elizabeth Bjork. I'm a professor in the Department of Psychology. I study learning and memory and how to optimize learning and memory. And I'm Robert Bjork. I'm also a professor of psychology at UCLA.
0: The Bjorks absolutely rule. I had the honor of sitting with them a few years ago, and they do a really good job of talking about how kind of our perceptions of practice lead us astray.
1: We know there are these major discrepancies between how people think they learn versus what would optimize learning, what sort of processes, and there's a stunning array of these things where people making choices turn out to be sort of exactly wrong. Often the immediate consequences of a less effective learning can be quite positive, and people can be too influenced by the immediate consequences. These strategies that really um, support current performance, they're very seductive. They make the student feel, I'm learning, this is easy, I'm getting it. It's kind of a a double whammy kind of thing. They're really not helping you learn, and yet they're making you feel that you're learning. There's a lot of talk that, well, if, if you're learning well, then learning should be fun and it should be easy. And actually, those are warning signs that, no, you're not learning more, and that it, it should be a little bit of struggle, a little bit of confusion. Mm-hmm. It makes you, It should feel difficult. And yet you're overcoming those difficulties. That's when you're learning.
0: The strategies that make us look and feel good in the moment are actually not encouraging real learning and development. And the strategies that encourage learning and development, create more challenge and struggle, make us look a little worse and feel a little more uncomfortable in the moment. And that's where the book comes full circle. All the tools that we've unpacked in this book are going to help us do this. Because of our growth mindset, because we understand tough emotions, and because we're good at finding opportunities within a challenge, we're now positioned to engage in this type of practice. Engaging in high-quality practice is spending time in the jungle. And as we said in chapter one, that was the goal of this book. Now you know what that means, why that matters, and most importantly, you have the tools in your pocket to help you do that more. And that's all you need. You don't need me anymore. The fun part starts now, though. You get to go start learning new things. And that's exactly what I hope you do. It's going to be a bumpy ride for sure. There's going to be mistakes and struggle and setbacks. But with these tools, you're going to be able to stick on that path, start stacking skills, and become a better learner. Have fun. Wow. I can't believe this is done. This has been one of the most challenging but fun projects I've ever worked on. In my life, I have two thank yous I'd like to throw out. The first one goes out to you. Thank you so much for listening and learning with us. And the second is to all of the brilliant researchers that we've had the honor of connecting with. Thank you so much for opening your doors, for sharing your work, and answering all the questions I have about your research and how we can apply it. For more content, you can visit thelearnerlab.com. We're going to keep cranking out good stuff like this forever. This audiobook was written and performed by me, Trevor Reagan, and Jack was on the production.